Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Coming up in this edition of the TV Black Box podcast is nostalgia killing free-to-air TV. The battle is on as three big franchises go head-to-head and Channel 10 fouled by Soccer Australia. Welcome to the podcast where people in the TV industry get their news. This is TV Black Box. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. We'll get to the panel in just a moment, but first, it was during this week in history that saw the first television broadcast by the American Broadcasting Company. ABC started out as a radio network in 1943, but by 1948, it lit up the small screen. It has aired some of the biggest shows ever, including Grey's Anatomy, Happy Days, Lost, The Wonder Years and The Brady Bunch. Their nightly news is watched by over 8 million viewers. Time to say hello to everyone. Joining us tonight is Aaron Ryan, the programmer extraordinaire. He knows what's happening on the TV. Philip Kosh, the magazine writer to the stars. Sarah Monaghan, former child actress and now a adult actress. Matthew Simmons, the contributor for TV Black Box, and the viewer's advocate, Mulk. Hello, Mulk. Hello, Rob. Good evening and welcome. Good to see you all. Let's get into today's stories, because in the world of reboots, revivals and remakes, is nostalgic programming actually killing free-to-air TV? The Hey Hey It's 100 Years special screened in select markets on 7 last Sunday, one of three specials set for 2022, and was a surefire hit to nostalgic audience members looking for a remnants of the show from its glory days through the 70s to 90s. But other brands rely on nostalgia to keep shows pumping every year. Dancing with the Stars now brings back all-star celebrities. Big Brother is welcoming royalty housemates from the past. The new season of MasterChef has 12 favourites competing against 12 fans. And only two years after the full cast of Kitchen Veterans. There's also The Block set to enter its 18th season. The Voice starting its 12th. And even Lego Masters is approaching the milestone of five seasons when it's renewed next year. No matter how you slice it, we're still left asking what is new. But there's a big reason why nostalgia is prevailing. New programming doesn't seem to cut through like these established programs. So it's much harder to launch something new. Mock, you did an article about this, a really fascinating article, and you made the call you made the call that nostalgia is indeed killing free-to-air TV. So what should networks be doing to turn it around, or is this the new normal? Uh, they need to take risks 
rob and they need to back those risks. The challenge that we are now faced with is that if they don't, we're only going to get served up the same old, same old repackaged in some other way. And even in your intro, acknowledging all of that stuff that's gone on, I'm not just talking about new programming because if we roll in the impending roast of Paul Hogan, which, look, there are three things wrong with that title. Um, uh, it's it's going to be nostalgia heavy because it's really uh, a jokey, this is your life, right? It's the same kind of approach, but looking at uh, Hoax's career. It's new, but it's still heavy on the nostalgia. And the challenge is that we need to be encouraging and developing and providing opportunity for new programming to get a run on free-to-air television and to birth these new things. Otherwise, we'll be talking about this heaven forfend in five years' time when we're looking down the face of the 27th season of something. Aaron? Well, I 1,000% disagree with the premise of the whole article. Um, I think people... Uh, are mixing their viewing choices between free-to-wear and streaming services these days. There must be a reason to watch free-to-wear and there has to be a point of difference on streaming platforms. Now, streamers have serialised shows and, and do that very well. You know, Squid Games, Game of Thrones, Halo, Yellowstone, whatever. But free-to-wear is appointment television for local news, top-tier sport, water-cooler reality moments like The Voice, MasterChef, Lego Masters, what we're watching now. But most importantly, television survives on the virtue of those that enjoy good old television the way it is now and the way it's been. So these television reboots, specials, all-stars remind us, I think, all of once, you know, what what was once and um, and what could be, and hopefully um, a reignition of variety television. If networks move away from this and um, and move away and lose more sport, free that's what will kill free-to-air. Um, I'd actually, I actually would encourage more of this. I think This Is Your Life will, will rate really well. I think the Paul Hogan roast will rate really well. And this is what people want to watch on free-to-wear. So th- that is the point of difference. Phil, there's a problem I have here, and I, I actually think Malk's article is very much on point. The, the problem I have is that, obviously, nostalgia sells. And programmers are only thinking short-term because at the moment they have to keep their jobs and keep money coming in. So the biggest problem we've got here is what is the long-term strategy, okay? So it's like back in the day, people sold their content to Netflix and because there was money to be made. There was no thought about the long-term There was no thought about the fact that Netflix would build a loyal subscriber base, then make its own programs, then wouldn't need your content. So here we have a problem of diminishing returns. If nostalgia is the only thing that free-to-air TV is serving up, then as the population that remembers those shows dies off, television will inevitably die, won't it? Uh, Look, I think there's no doubt nostalgia sells. It sells in all forms of media at the moment. You know, it's one of the biggest um, sellers in women's magazines at the moment. They're all after nostalgic content. Uh, I think perhaps they've got to look at nostalgia in a broader sense, you know. Um, You know, I, I love seeing those shows that are whatever, set in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. You see the fashion, you see the cars, you see the architecture. You, you see the beliefs and the viewpoints. That's nostalgia. Um, I don't understand why they can't capitalise on nostalgia by, you know, uh, commissioning a new drama series that 
that has mm. a big dose of nostalgia. Now, they won't do that because it costs a lot of money and it's a risk. I don't know. Is the answer, you know, we're in an election mode. Is the answer that, you know, the arts do need more support and if we want Australian stories, Australian content and new Australian stuff that's not reality TV, uh, perhaps we need some government, more government support there. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not typically somebody that would suggest that, but it, it, television employs a lot of people. And, I, I, you, you know, I, I wouldn't be the only person that sees the death of free-to-air TV in the not-too-distant future unless something pretty significant happens. Sarah, we are seeing new shows come through. We've reported on a couple of new formats that 9 and 7 are doing. I know that 10 is working on a variety of formats, so they are looking for new content. But it's a risky. New content is risky because you're trying to cut through all the content offerings that are out there and you don't want the headlines of failure. But they still need to give things a chance. Like, when Hey Dad started, the first three episodes never even went to air because it takes a while for class to mesh, for things to come together, for people to work it out. And nobody today would ever let that happen. I mean, they should I didn't pilots. know that happened. Yeah, the pilot, the first three episodes were all terrible, never went to air. But, like, today they show a pilot. Like, they show it right from the get-go. And the thing is, is they just don't give things a chance. If something doesn't work immediately they just scrap it and it's like you need to give things time to like you know get an audience to get people in to have like people watch it to have the water cooler moments where people come in but i i think nostalgia selling and i wonder if if it's also a covid thing because everyone is just trying to look back to you know when things were better and maybe once you know we're fully out of covid if that ever happens we'll go back to watching stuff. But, I mean, young kids just don't watch television. So it is that whole thing of you're pandering to the older audience who are going to die. So they really need to work out how to get a younger audience and make it interesting for them and do stuff. And I think young audiences do like TV shows because you see them watching stuff on Netflix. You see them watching things on all these other things, like things like euphoria and sex education that are geared towards very young people that everybody loves. And they need to go back to actually having that type of stuff on regular television. Of course, on regular TV, they're probably not allowed to show the stuff that you see on cable networks because it has to be more PG. So I I don't know what the answer is, but I think that they just need to allow things to simmer longer before they just rip them off again. Just on the point, though, of like uh, Sarah was talking about Euphoria, though, which is a great show and I watched it, it just would not work, though, on 7, 9 or 10. It would get like 100,000 viewers. But Aaron, could... you seem to be advocating that TV's not doing anything wrong here, and it's not. It's getting what it needs to survive at the moment. It's in survival mode. It's not in long-term build brands mode. So what exactly do you think TV, what's the purpose TV is serving here? Is it literally just to keep going until the fuel tank runs out and nobody's watching? Or is there some kind of innovation television can do to not only retain audiences but build audiences? 
Well, I think they are building brands. If we look at what all the they're not building audiences, though. Let's look at the you know these these days. We look at five hundred thousand and go, yeah, that's all right. Shows would get cancelled if they got under a million previously in days gone by. But but of course, television is not going to actually build an audience anymore because in the past we only had seven, nine, ten on the ABC, and now there's a million choices. So obviously, free to wear is going to start dropping away. It's not going to increase its audience. But the network. But is are- there, the, the the premise of the article which you disagree with is is a reliance on nostalgia, getting short term gains. You know, getting those short-term results, but ultimately is doing more harm than good. But I'm just saying, I, I don't, I don't agree that they're having short-term gains. I mean, Lego Masters might go on for another five or ten years. Um, you know, My Kitchen Rules went on for years and years and years. So you know, they are building brands. You know, Channel 10's bringing out Hunter this year. That might be good. That might go on now for another ten years if it, you know, if it's any good. Um, you know, we've got Australian Ninja Warrior, Farmer Wants a Wife. But all these shows are they're not short-term things. I mean, these shows go on for 10, 15 years. And then when they stop, there's going to be another brand that comes in. So I don't think these shows, I don't think the network... But, mate, look at Channel 7 Slate, and I don't say this with any criticism whatsoever, Channel 7 has done what it needed to rebuild a network. So my hat is actually off to Channel 7, but pretty much everything on that network is a heritage brand. There's nothing innovative going on there at the moment. But on Channel 10, you've got NCIS Sydney coming soon. <laughs> wow. Thank you for the interjection, Sarah. But do you know what I mean, Aaron? And I promise you I'm not having a go at Channel 7. Channel 7 has turned the ship around using heritage brands, but that's not a long-term solution. Well, it's not against or for Channel 7. All of the networks are doing it. I mean, you know, they're using brands that are from the, from the past or, you know, Channel 9's bringing Beauty and the Geek back. I mean, all of the networks are doing it, but um, they're getting good results. Nine got good results out of um, Beauty and the Geek last time. Not so, disputing the, the short-term results, but audiences are but, going down. But they're building long-term results. Why do you think bringing, bringing Beauty and the Geek is, is a short-term true, result? Mate. Why do you think bringing Beauty and the Geek is, is a short-term result? That, because, might go, that might go on for 10 years. Because it's not going to rate the same that it did five years or 10 years ago when it was on. It's going to get 400, 500, maybe 600,000, whereas in days gone by it would have got 900 a million. But the point is it's going to get 600,000 viewers. And if you take a risk and put a show on like Euphoria, which Sarah was talking about, which is a great show that I love, it just doesn't work on free-to-wear. And because that's the, because the issue. That, that's the very core of what we're talking about. Exactly. You're, you're absolutely right. Because that won't work there because people rely on places like Netflix and all that to, to have shows like that which they can binge any time. If it was on 7, 9 or 10, it would rate 100,000 viewers. It would probably have a huge uptick on, on their... Um, catch-up services and stuff like that. But the brands that are actually going to work are your nostalgia ones, and they're the ones that people are watching on free-to-wear. So you can leave Euphoria, you leave all those risky shows, Squid Games, to to the uh, streamers, and leave the networks. I mean, it can't obviously all be nostalgia, obviously, but these big shows that they're, they're doing are, are going to have a hint of nostalgia because that's what people want to watch with ads on television, and that's what they're watching. But don't you think if there's a great Australian drama series... A blue heel as a country practice, whatever the mod person is. Don't don't you think that could work on free to air? I I think it's just a matter of it's too big a risk and it'll cost too much money and no one's prepared to do it. And this is the problem. Risk is the thing. Matthew, you are the youngest member of the panel tonight. You are by a a long way. uh, (laughs) uh, You're in your early twenties. You're in your early twenties. 
Do you actually watch free-to-air TV? Yeah, pro- probably not as much as I used to when I was living with my parents. Um, but I, I'm a TV lover, so I, I, I like watching MasterChef with people coming back and Big Brother people coming back. So I'm drawn to the nostalgia myself. Um, but in terms of anything new, it's got to pick up some steam, and, and that's what it's like with um, streamers. I didn't watch mm. Squid Game the day it was released. I waited till I heard three days three days later that hey, this is really good, and then I watched it. Yeah. I, and I'm thinking that's what I do the same with any show that's on free to air as well. I've got to kind of hear about it. But even then, Married at First Sight, you and Malk were saying gangbusters it was. I didn't watch a single episode. I still couldn't care for it. So, yeah, I guess people of my age, we, we just we just turn to streamers automatically and mm. free-to-air. I, I do think there's a problem, but it's also what I'm drawn to anyway. So it, it's such a weird kind of paradox. The ultimate test for the heritage brands will be now that they're bringing back um, This Is Your Life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it'll do well, by the way. Uh, this is not knocking heritage brands. It's literally just talking about the fact that we need more. All right. ABC Weekend News Breakfast host Fajaya Ibrahim is under fire for some questionable lists on her Twitter profile. Under the titles Labor Trolls slash slash thugs and lobotomized shitheads, the journalist appears to have put numerous profiles on the now-deleted lists. This is despite the public broadcaster having strict social media rules. While some have suggested her account has been hacked, there's been no official statement from the journalist, with the ABC saying this is a private Twitter account, not an ABC account. We're looking into what has occurred. Um, I've got to say, Mulk, it's a bad look. It does seem to break the ABC social media rules, and there's got to be a point where they draw a line in the sand. It, it, look, it's a mess is what it is. Um, the, the ABC social media rules are also a mess because they are in knee-jerk response to the government freaking out about, you know, ABC employees having private opinions. Mm. Um, and that in part becomes the problem, right? When we start to talk about any journalist, uh, and let's particularly focus on the ABC, any person that works for the ABC having a Twitter account, unless it is promoting an ABC brand or an ABC show or, or, you know, they're the host of said ABC program, I think we have to infer that views are their own, et cetera, et cetera. And the the ABC social media policy is absolutely not how that is to play out. Um, It's, uh, look, I think I think it's just horrendous that people are in a position now where they're not able to express so- their views on social media without them being highly scrutinised if you work for particularly the ABC, but any media organisation. No, but the ABC is say, different because you are meant to be unbiased when you work for the ABC. When you work for the ABC, they don't own you in the, the other, you know, 16 hours of your life. You're supposed to be unbiased. You're supposed to be unbiased as a journalist. Let's be honest. Sure. You're not supposed to really air your own or reveal your own personal political affiliations. You shouldn't have Well, I, th- I actually think, Philip, we've, we've gone beyond those days because political activism in journalism is now a thing. And, and journalists having opinions, journalists from Nine News and Seven News go on radio shows, especially Nine, with Nine being owned by Nine also owning the talkback radio stations, a lot of nine journalists will go on and air their views on 4BC, 2GB, 3AW and 6PR. So that's part of the world we live in. And and Sky News, the journalists there, are very, obviously have their opinions. But here's the thing. The ABC 
is not supposed to have those views. And I, I'm sorry, Mulkey, they do own you. Your social media account is reflective of your employer and the ABC is setting very harsh social media rules to say you cannot do that. Her posting a list like this is bizarre, inflammatory, and she has not denied that it was her. That would have been a very easy denial. In fact, she's gone and deleted it. I don't and she's think made her account issue, private. Yeah, the hacking issue doesn't stand the scrutiny, and the simple fact is she's been caught out doing something bloody stupid. It, because you're, uh, you know, particularly because she's a presenter. Yep. There's the public face issue. Yep. Uh, that is going to mean that people will be watching, particularly, again, particularly in the ABC. It is somewhat ironic, can I call it that, that in this instance, it appears that um, the presenter has, has expressed that their views are seemingly conservative yeah. and not progressive. Yeah. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the cat cries and the calls and the freaking out if it was a list of conservative shitheads or but she's whatever? Still, she's still been on the front page of The Australian and the like. This, it oh, because it suits their purposes for exactly that reason. Because they expect, as is the current bias against the ABC because the government, blah, 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 Murdoch and all the rest of it, they expect the journalists to be pro-Labor and against the, the, the Liberal and National Parties. Um, that's the, the, current, the current claim. And, of course, if at any point Labor becomes the, the government party, the same thing will happen in reverse, right? There's just no ifs and buts. We have seen it in our lifetime. Um, it's Look, it's not a good look because you're the presenter. That's the thing where the draw lines. I absolutely and it breaks ABC social media policy. As I said, which is absolutely horrendous. I assert that if you work for any company, when you, if you were to tweet and post stuff during work hours or promoting work stuff in in that kind of context, it's a work thing, no question. If I was to then say I like chocolate ice cream, and someone got on my case and said, "But Mo, chocolate ice cream means this," or you, you know, "Why are you harming the kitties?" or something, 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 that's my personal view, and I can tweet that whenever I flip and feel like it, whether I work for whoever I work for or whatever. That that kind of stuff is a situation where. Just because I have a social media account, unless the ABC in this instance are going to pay to run it, they don't own it, and but they don't that's own just not the any of the employees. Of the situation, Mark. But but here's the, the, the catch, simple right? fact: is every but character who ends up is, on TikTok gets fired from their pub, like from their private employer. Like today, it doesn't matter who you are or what you say, whether you're a public or private citizen. If somebody doesn't like you, they will stalk you, find your account on LinkedIn and contact your employer and have you fired. Now, So here's the problem, right? That is an issue, straight but the, away. But the ABC, Mulk, also, the ABC are supposed to have people that are impartial. And when mm -hmm. you're expressing views on any side of the political spectrum, you've broken In your private their editorial life. standards. Absolutely. No, it does not. The editorial policies do not extend to your private life. They extend to your professional work. The stuff you write, the stuff you publish, and the stuff that you put on screen for the ABC. Then in her bio, she should not have had anything about her work. She shouldn't have had who she worked for. It wouldn't have for. mattered, Sarah. People it, would have hunted her out and said, look, absolutely no question. She probably should have had a private Twitter account. If she wants to express views that are contrary to whatever, blah, 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 because you we can't have become... when you work for the ABC. When you are employed full-time by the ABC, contractors are different. People like Julia Zamiro are different because 
They are contractors from time to time. But when you are employed by the news division of the ABC, you can't express you those can't views what? even on your own time. That is the way it is. Because we have gotten to this oppressive situation that Sarah just outlined where somebody jumps on you and chat tracks you down and attempts to, you know, hold you to account for all of the Cancel reasons. You. We have gotten the cart way before the horse and trying to dial this back has become far too difficult. The, the, the fact of the matter is we are no longer under slave conditions. Anybody that works for an organisation works for them for eight, maybe ten hours a day, whatever your agreement and contract says. After that, it is your own time. Now, if you want to stand up and do something offensive in your own time, you risk all of the issues that come with the implication of that act. If you are a a person that is a landscaper, you might lose some jobs. If you are a person that um, writes for a a publication or has your face on the television or in some kind of situation like that, you risk losing your job. That's just, that hasn't been social media. That's been since the dawn of time. It's time that we took the opportunity for people to take ownership of their own stuff and for organisations to stop reaching further, particularly media organisations, particularly because they're being pressured politically to make sure that, oh, um, presenter said horrible thing about me and I'm the minister of Watsadoodles. Mate, harden up. You get worse stuff thrown at you across the chamber than you did in that tweet. But you you were fine. You were fine with Paleo Pete getting outed from the network when he said things you didn't agree with. He doesn't work for the ABC, so we're starting to conflate a few kind yeah, of slightly different things. Yeah, we're getting way bigger. But at the end of the day, this lady, to me, my reading mm. of it, has broken ABC editorial standards and their social media policy. She hasn't the- broken their editorial standards. She's absolutely probably breached their editorial policy, so their um, social media policy. However, that's for ABC HR and her and her management and possibly her lawyers to work out. The biggest thing I got out of this was I totally forgot that Twitter lists existed. <laughs> I had to Google how you find them and make sure that I didn't have any that were weird. So hopefully you everyone took a moment. can down independently, right? You can lock them down independently of your account. Well, no, and, and then I was like, oh, am I on anybody else's list? And went through, and it was a fascinating half-hour journey for me. So hopefully everybody else learnt something today. There you go. And we will watch this one with interest because your social media account is not your own. Yes, it is. The Mouse House is causing issues off the football field for Network 10 despite a deal worth $35 million a year. Football Australia has sold the rights for a doco on the Matildas to Disney. And according to the Daily Telegraph, 10's cameras were banned from the team's hotel and dressing room prior to a match in Townsville. However... Disney had free reign. Well, Matthew, this is a red card against Football Australia. If I was Channel 10, I'd be looking for the nearest get out of contract clause. Mm -hmm. And I would also be saying, we are the only suckers who are airing soccer. We're coming, what, fifth, sixth (laughs) on Saturday nights when we air this shit and you fuck us over like this? Get stuffed, Football Australia. We will never, ever deal with you again. And if this is how you treat a broadcast partner, woof, fuck off. Spoken like a Channel 10 former employee. <laughs> Try following that, Matthew. <laughs>
No, I'm on Channel 10's side here. Yeah. They got done over like a dog's dinner and and Football Australia are the dogs. Um, I, I, it's actually a perspective that I didn't really um, think about. I was Before this, I was thinking business is business, but um, that, that's a very good point. Um, it's I, all I, because I said it with passion. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, Jesus creepers. I think, you know, we're just talking about free-to-air TV and how it's dying. And this Matilda's doco, who knows, it could have been better than 6th or 7th in the, in the rating schedule. It could have reached 2nd you know, or 3rd. It could have gotten a million. We don't, we don't know how good it will be. Um, but we're talking about free-to-air and, and it dying. You would think that even if Football Australia wants to, want, wants to make a better business move by sticking with Disney entirely, that... That they that they would stick up for the broadcast uh, partner and um and help our free to air because you're right we are till ten is the only one that's broadcasting the the sport anyway throw them a lifeline otherwise you're not going to get Australian hey, coverage you know are you I don't expect Football Australia to throw Channel Ten a lifeline what I do expect them is to understand they're getting thirty five million dollars a year and not screw them over and this is what this has done they have screwed them slowly and offered them a cigarette afterwards and then <laughs> taken their wallet. <laughs> Channel 10 are copying it in the ratings, Aaron, every weekend by airing this sport. And this is how the the partnership works. I, I find it extraordinary. I mean, if I was 10, I'd be finding every way to get out of the contract anyway. I mean, getting less than SBS on a Saturday night, is that that's, it just wasn't the right deal. I mean, as a disclaimer, though, we did get some information at TV, TV Black Box, though, that, that the story came out and we got some information to say that the package that 10 selected, you know, for the whole football rights, there were different packages that they could have had, and one of them included documentaries and all this kind of stuff, but... They took a package that didn't include this in it. And then about the being banned from the dressing room, um, you know, we've been told that, that that actually didn't happen. So, I mean, but information is coming in left, right, and, you know, all over the place. So I'm not sure what to believe. But, I yeah, mean, but you know what? This deal is not worth $35 million. I mean, it was oh, a dud no. deal from the get-go, and, and Blind Freddy could have told you that. But this is just rubbing salt into the wound. Oh, to be the seventh or sometimes eighth uh, channel of the night on a Saturday night is horrendous. And how, how many years have they got? Malt might know. How many years have they got? I think it's five years. Eleven thousand. Too many. Whatever yeah. it is, even if it's one <laughs> more, it is too many. It's for a 10. multiple one though. But yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Look, the, the real the real challenge around this is that, and maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying, Rob. Um, who is responsible for helping promote the product that they've signed the contract for? Football Australia are working with the teams and the clubs to make sure that they deliver as best game as they can week on week. The The challenge for 10 is that their, their contract is super selective. Like, how can you grow any code by broadcasting one game a week on your free-to-air network and then put the rest ostensibly behind a paywall on Paramount+. Plus. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I'm not surprised, no matter what the deal between 10 and Football Australia is, I'm not surprised that when Disney Plus came knocking with, you know, the money for the Matildas um, documentary, behind-the-scenes documentary, of course they would make way oh, for Oh, I get that too. I'm just like, if I was 10, one, I wouldn't have made this deal. Because yeah. I just sure. think Absolutely. Uh, uh, football doesn't soccer, whatever you want to call it, doesn't. Rate. And ten was their last 
ditch Correct. network. And right? that's, this is, no one else is going to pick them up and offer them anywhere near what they got with 10. Exactly. And this is what I'm saying, that for a network that has given you $35 million a year, for a network that is killing is itself... Is it really that on, much? Holy crap. Uh, giving yourself... Yeah. For a network that's giving you... Um, it is killing itself every Saturday night because it's rating so bad... I just wouldn't have done them over like this. I would have said to Disney, yeah, you can shoot your documentary, but part of our broadcast deal with Tan is we let them into the dressing rooms and all that kind of stuff. So I just wouldn't have screwed them over like this. I just think it's really, really bad form. How, how embarrassing getting outrated, though, by a Hitler documentary on SBS. <laughs> I, just, I just find that absurd. That was a good documentary. That's nostalgia. <laughs> that is nostalgia at work. <laughs> There's right. a difference between history and nostalgia, Sarah. <laughs> All right, that's true. All right, the newest season of The Block may have just started filming, but there's already been a dramatic exit from the show. High-profile contestants Elle Ferguson and Joel Patful decided to walk away from the contest after Patful's mother suffered a serious fall in Adelaide. According to the Daily Telegraph, the pair have made no comment about the news. However, Ferguson did post a message on her social media saying, wherever you are in the world, family comes first. Uh, Sarah, sad news for them, obviously, and fair enough to them. This is what happens when you're making TV. Yeah, and good for them for actually choosing family of a fame. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, power to them. I hope the mum recovers and, you know, everything's well and that the couple get another opportunity to do something like this in the future. But I think they did the right thing because, you know, you can always make TV, maybe, but, you know, you've only got one mum. One mum. But, Phil, it is hard to walk away when you're about to appear on a primetime TV show. And you're an influencer, yes. Um, uh, uh, look, uh, I agree with Sarah. All credit for I hear that derision, Phil. I hear all, that all derision. All credit for them for putting their family first. I suppose I was thinking there might be something else behind it, but I'm just a cynic. Uh, good for them for putting their family first. I'll just leave it at that. You have and and seen... I think that, in part, we've all fallen into the clickbait headline. You know, person, influencing person leaves the block and then you read the detail and it's actually for a really valuable and vital mm. and important reason. You know, we, mm. we we did the same thing. We offered it up on TV block box and, oh, I have to, what the, huh? And they, oh, actually, it's kind of fair that they It left. just shows yeah. that maybe um, not still... all influencers are assholes after all. Yeah, but, well, but it's we also can't confirm or deny that. a fair enough story because it affects the production of the block. And of you course. know, I'm not saying it's not a fair story, Rob. I'm just saying that we, like every other media organisation that dropped it, went with the clickbait headline instead of inferring actually what's going on. What, Isn't what this is big blow up? What is wrong with the clickbait headline? I've never understood this because everyone wants traffic to their website. Sure, y- you could uh, you could argue that promos for TV shows are watch bait. You know, like. They're there to get people to go to visit an article, to watch a show. This idea that you didn't give me the whole story in the headline, I had to read the article. Yeah, damn uh, straight you had to read the article. It's it, well, And we would love people to read the articles on tvblackbox.com.au every day, multiple times, <laughs> all of the times. Um, the, the catch is, Rob, that we love a good promo and we absolutely get our hackles up when that promo misdirects us. And the very inference, clickbait in itself is kind of fine. Here's a story, read the thing. Oh, click, I read it. The catch is when it's a misdirected or a misdirective 
clickbait headline or infers something horrendous or that these people have stormed out because something yeah, something. Yeah, a contestant left the block. If you want to know the reasons, read the read the article. I don't have to give you that information in the headline. No. However, there's a way to sell the story and then there's a way to infer that something else is going on to encourage people to click out of anger, out of spite, out of confirmation bias, out of all of the other things. And I think that if we can deliver the art of a good headline draws people in. The art of a clickbait headline is to get people to mash wildly on their thing so that they get to see it and then go, oh, now I feel bad because they actually left because his bum got sick. No, I I just want people to read the articles. I don't... (laughs) I don't care how they get there. I, I just, I don't understand this negativity over the word clickbait, but we've really gone down a rabbit hole and should probably move on. Before we get to the big showdown between The Voice, Lego Masters and MasterChef, let's have a look at the ratings from last week and then we'll come to that. Because last week it was Team Red that won the ratings battle with the 29.5% share. Team Blue, well, they had 27.3. 10 was third, but only just scoring 16.9 with the ABC nipping at their heels on 16.7. SBS had 9.6. 7 also won the primary channel battle with 19.7%. 9 had 18.5. ABC was in third on 11.7. And 10 sunk to fourth at an ironic 10%. And SBS had 5.2. 7 Mate and 7.2 were the top two multi-channels and Sunrise triumphed over today yet again. Now, it might officially be the second week of the non-survey period, but that didn't stop the networks bringing out the big guns on Easter Monday night. There was a clear winner in the very first night of the showdown, with Seven scoring a 34% share, Nine was more than five share points behind on 28.7, and Ten had 17.2% on Monday night. In primary channels, it was much of the same, with Seven on 25.5, Nine 20.7, and Ten on 13.8. Seven went half an hour earlier, starting The Voice at 7pm, for an average audience of 843,000, and it won in all cities. Lego Masters was second, with 672,000 viewers coming second in all cities, except Adelaide, where it came third, and MasterChef had 545,000, where 10 ran the show in full across three channels. No show was able to crack the million mark, but 2.6 million were watching these shows combined live in overnight ratings with a big bump expected in total TV. Now, Philip, what's interesting here is we all wondered where would it end up. The voice came out on top, Lego Master second, MasterChef third. I think it's quite something that 10 ran MasterChef on three channels, did the roadblock, and still came third by a significant margin. I, I, look, I was surprised, but traditionally MasterChef does take a long time to pick up. There's way too many contestants to to invest in individuals. Of course, they brought back favourites, including the original winner, Julie Goodwin, who who is incredibly appealing and broad in her appeal. You know, she's a mum, mm. she's now a grandmum, she's been open about having issues with depression. She's she's fucked up, let's put it that way, several times and and, and people have forgiven her. Uh, I love MasterChef, so I was definitely watching that. I was flicking to the voice during the commercials and I love the voice. And I even checked out a bit of Lego Masters, which I've never watched before, and it's really appealing. So I 
I think you've got probably the three best reality TV shows all up against each other at the one point. I think you'll see those figures change a little bit. I would also point out that all three are down on previous year's launches, um, so less people were watching all three than have done in previous premieres. Uh, it was split. But, yeah, look, I'm surprised Channel 10 did so badly putting it across three channels. You know, you could call it a desperate move. It clearly didn't pay off. I I think the big advantage, which hasn't been communicated, well, not the advantage, but the big thing with MasterChef this year is it's going back to basics. It, there'll be a lot of recipes. There'll be a lot of cooks creating stuff that you can create in your kitchen. Now, if you think about it, that mm. hasn't happened for probably five years. Yes. It's, no. You know what I mean? It's spectacular. It's bloody domes and mm. things that, mm. you know, look magical, but no one could actually make them at home. This year they're going to give you stuff you can make at home. So, I, look, I'm tipping it will be a slow build as people, you know, start talking about cooking again and wanting to cook at home, which we know there's a trend to doing post-pandemic. So, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sick MasterChef fan, but um, I've, I've got high hopes for that show. Matthew, I think Channel 10 really did itself a disservice because I don't think the gains from the extra two channels would have been that significant. And from a perception point of view, it feels desperate and they didn't get the results. Now, I'm going to say I reckon they would have been lucky to get 50,000 from the two channels. I don't know, maybe 100,000, but... Are these viewers that would have gone to the main channel to watch MasterChef anyway and did their overall network share suffer as a result of the three channels? It's desperate and it's unnecessary. MasterChef is a quality brand that didn't need that kind of stunt, which I don't think we'll cop anymore. Yeah, and I mean, especially when your other options are to go to different networks. It's not like it was the telephone where it was you go to seven, it's this and it's mm. nine, it's this and it's ten, it's this. It's just... just watch something else. Like, if you don't want to watch MasterChef, wouldn't you just flick to, to like, a Masters of the Voice anyway? Yeah. You're not going to just go, oh, okay, well, if this can't be 10, it'll be 10 bold. Oh, it's MasterChef. I'll stick with it. So that the, the decision, it, it, I agree, it, it does feel desperate. Um, but I think the only thing that interested me was that nothing really did amazing. I, I mean, unless mm. unless I'm just st- sticking with the million is, is great and not married at first sight, getting well over a million. But, like, well, I mean, what was the voice? It was in the eight hundred thousand, or not, not even yeah. that. Like, like that doesn't seem that fantastic to me. Great that they won. Great that they started at seven pm because I, I imagine that's what put it over the line. But it's still not fantastic numbers at the end of the day. I don't think. Hmm. What is the current population of Australia? Twenty six million, and only two million watch TV. Yeah, that but you, you know, you got the same with. America, it's always been... But this is supposed to be the big night when the three shows, you know, the three networks are all launching these big shows and between all of them they only got 2.6 million people. I mean, that shows that people just aren't... 2.06. But what's wrong with that? You know, I, I don't care about that argument because we don't even know if everyone that's watching TV is caught up in the rating system and... The figures we're talking about is five city metro anyway. We're not talking nationally. So doesn't get much better nationally, mate. But I just think that this proves that people don't care about free to air anymore. No, no, but I think I think that argument is something I've never bought because even when television was at its peak, people used to say, Oh, there's only three million people watching a show out of a out of twenty one million uh, a population of twenty one million. Well, 
that's just the way it is. You yeah, know, but in like, that, I think you've nailed your earlier argument, Rob, and that is that you know, hypothetical show doing three million in a population of twenty-one million versus all three shows doing a combined total of two million, and we have a greater population. But obviously, and we have greater competition now. Oh, mate, the audience is more fragmented than ever. Yeah, 100%. But what I will say here, Aaron, is that Seven can can claim the win. The voice brought back to that network. It definitely got the bump after the Olympics last year, and we all wondered how would it go in a normal situation. It's actually done very well here. Lego Masters is still hanging in there. The simple fact here is, and I'll be watching MasterChef's catch-up numbers with interest, Mm. I think this is the point in the ratings year where we've got three evenly split shows. They're all really good shows. There's not a maths that's just a big standout. These are solid performers, not standout performers. That is 100%, absolutely. And I think we're all we're all thinking that overnight figures. Don't forget, I expect huge lists probably for all of them next week in Total TV. So they're probably all going to be over 1 million, um, maybe up to 1.5 million. It, it, could, it could be anything in the Total TV because people are watching TV differently these days. Um, a, a quick thing too, Aaron, last week we talked about top five shows on ABC uh you want to uh, i'll give you a chance to reflect and whether you got it right or wrong oh i didn't know we were going to do that this wasn't on the rundown no, no. We we're just mentioning last week we were talking about dancing with the stars in, in, in america and it's going to uh to disney plus um and then i mentioned that dancing with the stars was in the top five shows on abc which was quite significant and you were talking about married at first sight and making that comparison because it's a big show for the for the network um, Malk said, well, I doubt that would be the case because otherwise it wouldn't be going to Disney+. Plus. And, yeah, so, in fact, it is the fifth most watched program on ABC in, in America. So very interesting that, that, a, that a show still that big, even though it's dropped off, obviously, majorly over, over the years, uh, still the fifth most watched program on ABC and it's still going to Disney+. Plus. Got to say, Malk, I, I am surprised it's one of their, their fifth top five shows. Yeah, and and look, it was interesting to see the gaps between the programs in those top fives to see how big the difference was between one and two and then even one to five for sure. Um, I Look, I don't want to rehash last week's argument. It's, it's an interesting move. There is no question. Their rationale for it, who can guess? I just look at the season 31, 32 thing and go, yeah, there's your reason. Um, well, and it's the use of nostalgia yep. to get people across to this new platform. So this yep. this is it's an interesting play and I agree we don't want to rehash, but it's an interesting play going against what we just talked about earlier, you, the use of nostalgia to run TV mm. into the ground as opposed to using nostalgia to get people to a streaming service. Now we've seen streamers use that a lot while d- innovating and doing new kinds of programming. Yes. But this is an interesting use of nostalgia. Look, look, it is, and I, I think that uh, to 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 hit back on that whole conversation, we acknowledge that audiences on linear broadcast TV are absolutely skewing older. There mm. is no ifs and buts, mm. um, and uh, you know that plays into the the nature of the programming, the fact that nostalgia will hit well and and maintain an audience because older audiences are watching it because, in part, they're either unwilling to learn how to go to other places and do stuff. Mind you, as soon as their favourite program goes to a streamer, 
you watch them ask the questions and learn how do I get to see my insert thing here. Uh, mind you, at this point, all they need to do is turn over to a 7-2 or a 9-gem and they'll get, you know, Father Brown or, you know, you hit yeah. from the 1980s or whatever. 100%. But the big problem here is where do the networks in Australia go? Because outside of nine having Stan and now mm. 10 going with Paramount Plus and and I'm still waiting to find out whether that has been successful or not. My gut is that it's really late and in the US they're talking about the fact that investors are saying they want uh, Paramount to pull out of the streaming business and be and deliver content and sell content because the numbers aren't good enough. So I think that's an interesting little thing going on in the background and whether Paramount, what was Viacom, CBS, will listen yep. to that. Well, and, temper that uh, against NBC's... Sorry, I was going to say temper that against NBC's decision to not push Peacock further. They're, mm. they're not talking about an international expansion for Peacock, their streaming service, which we were on the list to be one of their test Yeah, beds. we were. Um, because in part, it is worth more to them to sign the deal to have the program come to network or existing streamer or, you know, stuff over here than it is for them to put in the infrastructure to mm. deliver a streamer that's going to have a whole bunch of content that then only draws away from other streamers. So they lose that valuable income and they become completely reliant on subscribers to build and to develop and support that new thing that they're trying to push in to us over here where we're not as connected to the brand, mm. which is part of Paramount Plus's problem. All right, we need to keep moving because coming up next we'll have Hatches and Dispatches with Sarah and we'll find out very quickly what everyone's been watching. You're listening to TV Black Box. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And now it's time for Hatches and Dispatches. Nothing says election like a televised leaders' debate, and the first will kick off this month. Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese will go head-to-head taking live questions from 100 undecided voters. It will be moderated by Kieran Gilbert and hosted by Sky News Australia and The Courier Mail. See it Wednesday, 20th of April at 7pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. A three-time Walkley Award winner and former editor of the Sydney Morning Herald will be the new global affairs editor for ABC News. John Myers will report across all ABC platforms and mentor the next generation of correspondents. He'll start in June. SBS has been in the ACMA's firing line and it's all thanks to Hitler. The network aired a documentary about World War II and classified it PG. However, the ACMA has found it should have been rated higher due to themes and violence. SBS will include the findings in staff training and explore new ways to help the audience choose appropriate historical documentaries. This past Friday marked the 65th anniversary of Seven's Good Friday Appeal. The Victorian TV institution raised a record $22.3 million for the Royal Children's Hospital. Stars from across the network were on hand, including Larry Emder, Mark Beretta, Guy Sebastian, and Human Nature. 
And shout out to Robbo for writing this in words that I could understand because as a kid, when I did the telethon and sitting right in front of the numbers and I turned around to read it because they wanted me to read it and it had just gone over a million and it was all in numbers and I couldn't see all the word, like all the numbers. And Agro was sitting next to me and gave me complete shit about being a child who didn't know how to read numbers and wasn't good at math. And then I accidentally kicked over some water under the desk and um, Jamie uh, got uh, covered in water and thought that I was trying to electrocute him because he was sitting on all the wires. So thanks, Robo. Hope you feel better. And that is this week's Hatches and Dispatches. Uh, I love that. And that is how you do a telethon. The Channel 7 Good Friday Appeal, a fantastic event, well worth the money. All right, guys, we are running out of time. Let's race through the TV binge box. I haven't watched much this week. I have watched Zombieland and Zombieland Double Tap. I was halfway through Zombieland last week while I completed that and did Zombieland Double Tap. I watched the latest Doctor Who episode and it was fine. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> worthy of being a special, but it was fine. And, of course, John Oliver, who always continues to inform and entertain. Philip? Uh, well, I remembered that the reason I initially got Netflix was because everybody was talking about The Sinner with um, Bill Pullman. So I have, I've missed a few series, and I went and watched Series 4, uh, which was really good. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I'd recommend that. Um, also on Netflix, um, the US thriller with James Spader, The Blacklist, Series 9, has just dropped. Uh, I love this show, so and I, I know there's lots of fans out there, so um, I, I was quite surprised. I sort of figured the show had been axed and wasn't coming back, but it's Series 9 has just dropped, and they've commissioned a Series 10. So uh if you're a fan of the blacklist, Netflix for you. Aaron. Well, uh, yeah, a few shows. I, I, what I like to use now, finish now. I genuinely hope that Tendu give this a second go. I give it time to build. It, it was quite good towards you know the last three episodes there. I watched The Voice. Um, every time these shows come on, I just think surely we've run out of talent. But there, there's there really is some great talent still out there um jay had a great tone there was a good guy from um from perth sam he's awesome um and i I think they've done the show just right this year it's really good um yeah i must be a nostalgia person like even when sarah mentioned aggro then so not all these memories come back i actually think they should do a a, a three-part special the best of aggro i mean i reckon that'd be awesome it's just it's just great um you know, so I watched the Hey Hey special, which is uh, airing this this uh, weekend in in Perth. Um, I absolutely loved it, and it's it's just you know the Shane Warne tribute was great. Um, I just people throwing pies in people's faces you just wouldn't think would be funny anymore. I I just I was laughing. I was absolutely in giggles. I just think you know the, some of the things they got up to back then is just you know on live TV it was hilarious. Um, so. I just really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, I, I think I'll enjoy the Red Faces specials when they c- come up. So, and I finished watching Minx. Um, it set it up <laughs> nicely. Um, if there's a season two um, or it's if, it, if there is no season two, then it's settled nicely. Um, yeah, it was full of nudity and all that sort of stuff. But uh, I don't think the storylines were worth watching. So if season two comes out, I'll, I will watch it, but it'll be with fast forward pause and fast forward again so that's it that's about it and the last thing i wanted to mention but it's coming up I, um on wednesday the 20th which is tomorrow we're recording this on a tuesday is mayan's mc comes back so that was the spin-off from sons of anarchy um it was previously on uh, 
Foxtel and Binge, so I'm sure it would still be there now. So, yeah, looking forward to that. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, Sarah, what have you been watching? Uh, I watched the final episode of The Dropout, um, and then since I had watched Coda on the way up to Boston on the plane, on the way home, I watched Children of a Lesser God, which was also Marley Matlin, and William Hurt, um, and that was really old, but still pretty good. And then um, we watched this limited series with Tony Collette called Unbelievable, which was based on true events about a serial rapist who went across several states in the U.S. and how police departments don't talk. But I was literally screaming at the television nonstop because it shows how, like, this girl gets raped, she comes forward to the police, and they have her recant her story, and then they charge her with a false thing, and it's not until they find in the end, you know, that she really was telling the truth and like the whole thing just showed how like everyone's always like oh but all these women lie about being raped and it's like no they don't like this is a perfect example of how women don't lie but they take it back because you know it's just bad policing or it's just too much drama and so it was like such a great great series but i mean the trigger warnings were very valid at the beginning of it thank you sarah and matthew what have you been watching um, the only show that I'm making appointment television is um, The American Survivor, which is in its 42nd season, so how's that for nostalgia? Um, uh, I do want to catch up on MasterChef. It's the only one of the three that really interests me. Even then, I'm not super worried if I don't catch up on it, but I, I do want to check it out. Um, also, catching up on The Walking Dead, I know that the series finale will air um, around August or October, November, uh, this year so we're in season 10 so i just want to kind of get back on track and then can watch the last part uh yes yeah, well i'm on season 10 but yeah to get up to season 11 three um, part season finale three three groups of eight apps yeah wow there you go so yeah i'd like to watch that last part uh, weekly and, and kind of feel like i'm i'm with the audience and then just uh american horror story and modern love which is on prime video yeah i've been checking them out but that's it oh very cool Malky, bring us home um, Halo is still an absolute punish, and the most recent episode, I just, I just got angry. Um, so congratulations, Paramount, and your latest little. We're going to put up a, um, a hologram of the Master Chief in places around the, the. Look, spend the money on the fucking script, you dickheads. Um, just outrageous. Um, the circus and John Oliver uh, last week tonight continue to be front and center for me. I did spend some of the long weekend. Um, I finally finished Billions. Oh my god, thank you. Uh, brilliant. That is going to be so great for season seven. That's on Stan. And We Own This City is a series coming this week to Fox Showcase. Another kind of recent history expose of the Baltimore Police Department, and particularly, I think it was the Gun Task Force or whatever they called themselves, a bunch of cops that just used the power that they had to take advantage of situations and, you know, finger criminals and pressure them and steal money and steal drugs and do horrendous things in the name finger of the criminal. law. It's it's pretty full on and it's an incredible series. It kicks off this week on Fox Showcase uh, and I'll let the children talk amongst themselves. I did spend uh, some effort uh, on monday night's programming i thought i would do it justice and watch all three of the big premieres to get to see how they compared to see what it looked like and um look unashamedly a lego masters fan the whole family 
uh, sat down and we watched that. And that can be attested to by the growing Lego collections in our house that we love Lego Masters. <laughs> um, so that was that was fun. And, and look, the, I can't wait to see them get out and about, as I said last week when I spoke to Brickman. I watched MasterChef and it, it felt like a warm hug. I used to watch every episode of that show, recap it. I was across every little nuanced moment of it and I've fallen away in in past years. And while I appreciate that, that Melissa, Jock and Andy uh, are doing their best as hosts, they're just not Gary, Matt and George. That's that's the, the challenge they face. They're doing great, but they're not those guys. And it phenomenal idea to bring back some, you know, favourites like Julie, like Sashi, like um, Alvin. You and to see to. those guys competing with, sorry? You have to. It's the only way to get numbers these well, days. Well, for Channel 10, it's the only thing they can do at this point because um, Fans First Favourites has infected everything that they do. Um, but for MasterChef, it's a really smart idea but it gets because it does hit those nostalgia budget buttons along with drawing in new audiences because they've got people who are TikTok chefs or TikTok cooks that have got huge audiences that they want to draw in and get connected to the show. Unfortunately, it's not directly facing in linear broadcast numbers, but let's see what the total TV catch-up stuff is. Uh, and just by the way, uh, Lego Masters had the highest BVOD last night when it ran, so it'll be interesting to see how it and the voice measure up once we add in those catch-up oh, and, and BVOD figures. Be very, very Very, very interesting. And particularly once we write the ship and everything is starting at 7.30 from tonight, you know, podcast recording time. Uh, and that brings us to the end of TV Black Box for another week. Thank you for your company. For more exclusives and go where people in the industry get their news from, it's tvblackbox.com.au. Many thanks to David Robinson who wrote a lot of this episode despite the fact he was sick and couldn't be on the episode. Boo-hoo. You're a legend, Robbo. We love you. We hope you are back next week. Matthew Simmons, thank you for stepping in today to fill Robbo's shoes. Great job as always. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, Sarah. Go grab a copy of new idea so you can see my face and not just hear my voice absolutely it's a great article as sheds a lot of light on this <laughs> mysterious woman who you've never gotten to know uh sarah Monahan <laughs> is the lady we'll see you next week hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.